Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Say with me, sit there, Jesus. I'm ready. My eyes are open to see, to do, to be all that you've destined for me to do. All that you've destined for me to be. All that you've destined for me to see. And I am ready. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Amen and amen. How are you all doing? Alright, I think it's um, not out of place to say Happy New Year one more time. Glory to God. It's good to see you all. Please be seated. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The theme of this sermon is prophetic faith. And I make bold to tell you that if you would pay attention to what you're about to hear, it will change your life. Did you hear what I said? Years ago, every corner you look at in the body of Christ, you will see at least one sermon or one book on the egos. Did you ever listen to a sermon on the egos? Sermons that emphasize, you know, how sharp their sight is. And they will talk about how even though they are thousands of meters, uh, maybe feet from the ground, they can see maybe a small insect on the ground or sermons emphasizing the strength of their flight and how many other birds are avoiding the wind. But the eagle actually waits for the wind and just glides with it. And no wonder they don't flap because the wind carries them. And all those things are great. But I remember that years ago, I was returning from a prayer meeting, meditating on all those sermons. And the Lord asked me a question, a very simple question. He said, of all these things you've learned about the eagles, does the eagle know that it is doing anything special? And then I thought about it. Oh, really? The eagle actually didn't read seven steps to soar like an eagle. Every, uh, everything that people admire about the eagle is the eagle's natural. I mean, the eagle is just being itself. And I learned a very important lesson. The Lord taught me that day. He said, our flow in the supernatural is meant to be effortless. Such that if you are struggling, you are very likely doing something wrong. And today we are learning about faith. And the same way, faith ought to be effortless. A lot of people don't know that, but faith ought to be effortless. If you look at um, the industry of faith, let me call it that, or the lanes of faith in the body of Christ, 
or in the Bible, if you pay attention closely, you will discover two different classes of people. The Bible speaks of something called the importunity of faith, which is a very important school and a very important lesson in the school of faith. In Luke chapter 18, the Bible tells us saying, there was a certain city, a judge, which had a judge who, that feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was in, the, in that city a widow. And she came unto him saying, avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward, he said unto himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her lest her continual coming wearies me. This is importunity. The principle that says, keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Keep on asking and you shall receive. And it's a great teaching. Very important. It has its place. But this teaching has been so fundamental, we think that that's all there is to faith. And in fact, this is the major picture of faith. And psychologically, we become accustomed to the idea of a reluctant God that we have to force with our faith to be responsible. That's the kind of picture that we have. The picture of just like this judge. I don't want to help you, but you keep asking. If I don't answer you, you won't allow me to hear what? Oh, yeah, take. Because sometimes we just wonder why it has to be so hard. And some people, this is, this is their life. Every single thing, they have to war for it. To gain admission, they will fast, they will pray, they, you know, they will enter broken. Then to graduate, the same process. To get married, the same process. To have children, the same process. You know. And then there is another lane in the industry of faith. You look at the children of Israel. And God is the one persuading them about the mighty things he wants to do in their lives. They are indifferent. Just basically chilling. Stiff-necked, hard-hearted. A lot of metaphors and descriptions were used to talk about them in the Bible. And yet they saw great miracles. Do you know what it means for a river to turn to blood? I've said it comparatively, and miracles really shouldn't be compared. But comparatively, when it comes to the science of it, it is harder to turn water to blood than to turn water to wine. Don't you know that? At least, wine is still man-made. But if river turns to blood... And they saw all of that. And guess what? After all the miraculous signs that they saw, when they were before the Red Sea, they still began to abuse Moses. Many of the great miracles that happened for the children of Israel happened in moments of unbelief. They were abusing Moses, about to kill him, and then something will happen. And then you now wonder, why is it that it looks like when you look at the faith experiences of people, some are having it very easy and others very hard. So we still have a lot to learn about faith. 
years ago, a publisher had been printing many materials for me. And I told him, oh, I, I want to do a material. I want to do a book on faith. This was 10 years ago. I still want to do a book on faith. It will happen at the right time. But you know what he said to me? He looked at me and said, what's left to write on faith? Bookstores are littered with several different titles by several different authors on faith. Some authors have written, you know. And I know what he, what, where he's coming from because there are veterans in the body of Christ who have, I mean, mastered the subject of faith, made it so easy for us, made it so popular in the body. Some have really mastered the subject of faith that when you read some verses, they come to mind. You read some verses in the Bible, they come to mind. You can't read Mark eleven twenty three and not think of Kenneth Hagin. As if he was there when they were writing it. But it is still wrong to assume that there is nothing left to say on the subject of faith. There's a lot for the body of Christ to learn. And with trembling knees... I say with humility, great humility, that this teaching is my contribution to the body of knowledge on faith in the body of Christ. Call it a much-needed balance. Because when you look at the Bible and what it has to say about faith, you realize that there are more important principles than faith and the display of it itself that are not being as emphasized. In any subject in the Bible, context and motives matter. And it changes everything. You see, in Bible interpretation, there's a principle that goes thus. Everything God has to say on a subject, you cannot know until you examine everything God has said on that subject. Meaning you cannot pick verses in isolation. You can't even pick um, a verse on faith or any other subject in isolation. You must examine what God had to say on that subject throughout the Bible. And whatever your conviction is must align and accommodate everything God said. It's the principle of consistency in doctrine. Are you getting what I'm saying? This is so important. For instance, let me give you an example. You read Psalm 91, verse 11. You know what it says? It says, for he has given his angels, or he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear thee up with their hands, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And now this is great. You receive this and rightly so. He shall give his angels charge over you. You know, you expect this. Have you even seen people who talk about the fact that they were walking on the road and they kicked the stone and they said, we are the angels, you know? And all those things are nice. But now fast forward your Bible like it's a movie. And you come to Matthew chapter 4. The picture of Jesus standing on the pinnacle of the temple. Looking down. And the devil beside him looking down. And looking at Jesus and looking down, and he says to him, Jump, for it is written. Quote Psalm 91, verse 11. He shall give his angels charge over you. They will catch you with their hands, lest you dash your foot against the stone. 
Mind you, the devil quoted the scripture right. And it is true that God has given his angels charge over us. But in that particular context, to jump will not be a demonstration of faith. It will be temptation. This is something that people need to understand when it comes to faith. Faith has a context. Faith has a motive. If you miss the context and you miss the motive, you will be in trouble. Many people have done stupid things, hurt themselves, thinking that they were demonstrating the faith of God. Have you heard of the guy who they said went to Ibadan Zoo? Entered the den of the lions because he's serving the God of Daniel. Little did he know that before he came, the, the lions had also prayed to God that God, we are hungry. Which way? So as he came, you know. Why is it that people have hurt themselves? Trying to apply themselves in the faith lane. Because if you don't understand the contexts of faith and the motives of faith, you will fall for temptations thinking you are demonstrating faith. This is so important. Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. You know what Mark eleven twenty four says? It says, therefore I say unto you that what things soever you, des you, you desire. Can you say what things? Soever I desire. Now those, those are powerful statements. And it just gives, the, gives you the picture of a genie in a bottle. What things I desire, I wish for a pointed nose. I wish for a lighter skin. After all, he says, what things soever. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. If you pick this text in isolation, you think that there is no provision for the scrutiny of the motives of your requests. Anything you want at all, ask, he will give you. Even if it's going to be injurious to your faith. To your destiny, ask. But when you follow the principle of the consistency of doctrine, and you come to James chapter 4 verse 3, and James chapter 4 verse 3 says, you ask and receive not. Now that already appears to be a contradiction because in Mark eleven twenty four you have the impression that it is impossible for you to ask and not receive. It says, what things soever you desire when you pray. Believe you receive and you shall have. So what are you saying, James? Ye ask and receive not? He says, because you ask and miss. This is the balance here. You can ask and miss. And what is he talking about asking and miss? He says that you may consume it upon your lusts. So as great as faith is, your motives must be right. It is true that what things whoever you desire when you pray you will receive, but it also matters what you desire. And it also matters what you ask. And in fact, the most important principle in faith is not the asking, but in learning what to ask. Oh my goodness. 
If you learn what I'm teaching you, it will save you from frustration. Look at verse 23. The same Mark 11. It says, For verily I say unto you, that, what so, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he said shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says. Another very blank check. Whatsoever. Say to this mountain. And it is good that when we read this text, we already have an allegorical interpretation of what it means to move mountains. But when you read in the exact context, you realize that he had just spoken to a tree. Was the tree figurative or literal? He spoke to a literal tree, and the tree dried up from his roots, and Peter was flabbergasted. And he said, oh, this is small, if you say to this mountain. So, you ought to think of a literal mountain, even though there is a provision for seeing it as metaphorical. Because after he talked about moving mountains, he now said, what thing soever. So that gives you room to talk to not just mountains, but to sickness and all, all of that. But do you understand what I'm saying? But in the exact context, he's talking about mountains. And what a sight it would be to be hiking and see Kilimanjaro. And you're like, ah, I don't feel like climbing. Move! I want to ask you, why are you laughing? Did he not say, you shall say to this mountain? So, you're laughing not because you have unbelief, but you know that there is more to that text, right? There is also a motive. And that's what you have to understand about faith. The context and the motives of faith. This is the principle of effortless faith. And if you learn this one, it will change your life. Come on, are you with me? Are you learning anything? So now, if you want to grow in the school of faith, important questions will be, what do I ask for? What is the motive of my faith? How is the expression and the demonstration of faith different from rubbing the, gene, the bottle you know, with the genie in it? I want to be taller. I want to be a baller. Let's learn from Paul. Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Let's read verse 13 first. Because this is, I, I first of all want to um, generalize and show you how many people interpret faith on a general spectrum and then show you the real biblical context of faith. So, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Look at the screen. Read together. One, two, go. isn't it? I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. You use it for exam. You use it to trust for a babe that you know, the one you're checking out in this church. You use it for a job. I can do all things. 
And mostly, fundamentally, you may be correct, but you are superficially wrong. And that superficiality is where the problem lies. It can put you in trouble. So you have to understand. Hallelujah. Now, let's move and understand the context now. Look at verse 12. Some of you might, might be seeing this for the first time, so pay attention. This is why it's good to open your Bibles. Verse 12 says, For I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Hey. These are conversations that are not hard when it comes to faith. We think that the vocabulary of faith is strictly this. I'll never be hungry in my life. I'll never be broke in my life. I'll never be weak in my life. We think that's the vocabulary of faith. And that we think that when Paul says I can do all things. He's talking about good stuff. And that this is an opportunity for us. To gratify our own desires. But then Paul says. I know how to be abased and how to abound. I'm instructed in all things. Now, this is the summary of his ministry. That even in places where I get a lot of response, a lot of financial partnership, and in places where I don't, the Bible says in season and out of season, I must be faithful in my preaching. Many people have not understood this aspect to the faith walk. Are you getting what I'm saying? And we have a perspective of faith that only accommodates favorable circumstances. And that's wrong. Hallelujah. Do you know this changes everything? You know what this means? It means faith is selfless. This is this is the first step to walking in faith. If you don't understand selflessness, your faith will be wrong. Your faith will be a temptation. Your faith will lead you to sin. Faith is selfless desire for the will of God. Trusting that he has your best interests. So faith does not say, I want this, I want this, I want this, and use God to get those things. Faith says, I am totally sold out to God, his timing, his plan. And whatever that timing and that plan will bring my way, as long as it is with God, I accept it. This is very important. As simple as this is, it will change your life. Did you hear what I said? So faith is not moving the hand of God. It's moving with the hand of God. There's a difference. You know, there are some phrases that are so popular in the body of Christ. And even if fundamentally you understand what they are trying to say, they're dangerous. If your faith says yes, God cannot say no. That's not faith. Faith is not, is not a strategy to combat the reluctance of God. This is so important. Faith is an avenue for consecration. I can do all things. 
whatever ministry, whatever service, whatever following the Lord will demand, I will do. Say loud, amen. amen. So when you read Hebrews chapter 11, we have this propensity, all right, through mental models to still select the parts that are consistent with our idea of faith. And you go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, open fast as possible, you know, you open your Bibles. You know, you need to see this. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, and it says, what shall I say more? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, this is Pastor Gideon, you know, and of Barak, Obama, I'm just playing, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David, and of Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued over territories, you know. Wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lion, quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned the flight to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised back to life again. Everybody read the next statement, one to go. And others were what? Tortured, not accepting what? That they may obtain a better resurrection. Listen, if your theology of faith does not accommodate this aspect, you are wrong. So let's be honest. There is something fundamental. We have learned everything about faith except the most important thing, the motive. That faith is not a strategy that we use to fulfill all our desires. It is surrendering sacrificially to the passionate plan of God for our lives. Are you getting this? So in that plan, for his name's sake, you will subdue kingdoms, quench the, the fires of the furnace, stop the mouth of lions. But at the same time, if it leads you like Jesus to suffering, like Paul, like the other apostles, you are still in faith. This is so important. Consecration. Is the most important subject of faith. Let's read on. It says that they may obtain a better resurrection, and others had trials of cruel mockings, scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds of imprisonment. They were stoned and sown asunder. Think about this. We're tempted, we're slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin. Not exactly the picture of prosperity now, is it? Being destitute and afflicted and tormented of whom the world was not worthy. So when you revisit the subject of faith afresh, knowing all of this, you now come to realize two things. That yes, some people think that the way to demonstrate faith is to just conjure and then force. <laughs> Forgive the. <laughs> so now you're struggling. You're mechanical about it. Lord, I believe, Lord, I believe, Lord, I believe. Oh, help my own belief. 
But then you now realize that faith is also a gift of the Spirit. Faith is both a fruit and a gift of the Spirit. What does the fruit, fruit of the Spirit mean? The evidence of the Spirit's influence. Meaning if the Spirit of God is working in you, he will produce faith. So there is an aspect of faith that is initiated by the Spirit of God, not by your desires, not by your stomach. Are you getting this? It starts with the Spirit. This is the true faith. This is effortless faith. A gift of the Spirit. A supply of the Spirit. And this is why sometimes you struggle. Has it ever happened to you that you want something, you determine to pray about it, and then when you're about to pray, it felt so petty to mention it to God. Has it happened to you before? That you, you wanted a car, you wanted to ask for it, and it, you just, it just felt wrong. <laughs> this is why. And then there are some other things. You were not thinking about it, but something, it, I mean, the spirit draws it out from within you. And you begin to desire, the Bible says, God works in you both to will and to what? You know, now that's faith, a gift of the spirit, a supply of the spirit. It is God selling his own plan to you. And then just waiting for you to receive it so that he can carry you. When it happens that way, it is effortless. Have you noticed? That's what I call prophetic faith. If you learn this, it will change your life. When faith is prophetic, it is effortless. When God initiates the faith in you, it is effortless. Where you are selfless and God is passionate, that's the kind of partnership that makes you unstoppable. For instance, let me use myself as an example. If we had just 20 members, I wouldn't consider myself a failure. God is my witness. My priority was to do the will of God. So, your faith is stronger. Listen, in science, there's something called, um, when you study about metals, metals very often have impurities, right? And as you remove the impurities from the metal, what happens to the metal? It becomes purer and stronger. Is that true? If you allow God to x-ray your motives, to separate the ones that are your desires, and let his own desires linger there, your faith will be stronger and effortless. That's what I'm saying. So that you are on your own, God comes to you with his own plan your own contribution was to agree. It then becomes his integrity to protect. Because when you are married and God says you will have a child, you have no precedence. There, you, there, there is no book on it. <laughs> How to have a child without a man. No book on it. So now you ask. Because it's, it's his own idea. You ask, how shall it be? And then he tells you how. And then your own contribution is to say, be it unto me according to your word. It changes everything. This is why some people, you know, 
like Lego. They are trying to put their faith in order. Ah, let it not spoil, you know. After a lot of hustle, they get it. They miss some, they get some. And some others are just gliding. Virtually every man of faith in the Bible, it was God who came to them. This might be one piece you are missing. God came to Abraham. God came to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a child. God says, don't talk like that. God touched his lips. I've anointed you a prophet to the nations. To root out, to pull down. You know, so that's where real faith starts. The burning bush. God approaches you. If it is his plan, it becomes his integrity to protect. The first time I was preaching on faith, I talked about the zeal of the Lord. Remember? This is what I'm talking about. That God is very passionate about his own plan. And so... The most important thing in the faith realm is not actually the mechanics of faith, but alignment. Ah, ah, ah. The Bible describes the zeal of the Lord in several different ways. He said, God is jealous for Israel with a fervent jealousy. You see, there are some people that are so dangerous. Just enjoy protection cheaply. Enjoy provision cheaply. It's like God is just all over them and you're wondering why. It's not because of them. It's because of his plan and their relevance to it. You have to understand this. That even if Isaac is your father, eh, what will determine the greatness of your life is the blessing, not natural inheritance. That's why they fought for it. And that blessing is simply your alignment. The fact that you have the privilege to be a part of God's plan. It changes everything. Please, are you getting this? Hebrews chapter 6. Let me show you something. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. When you get this, you stop struggling. When you get this, you know, even when your faith is not perfect, you will still get results. You know, I wondered years ago, when you're reading the book of Romans, and Rome, Paul is talking to Rome about Abraham, and he said, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God. I'm like, no now. Is that true? Abraham did not stagger. What about Ishmael? His wife said, see, we can't wait again. See my concubine. And he bought the idea. How come God said Abraham staggered not? Prophetic faith is powerful. See, when you are flowing with prophetic faith, your first faith is enough. It remains your testimony forever. So that even if you, even if you are vacillating at the middle, God ignores it. And he said you staggered not. Because from that first time, the Bible says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. And that was his testimony forever. Glory. Such that even along the way, as he was doubting, God ignored it. And in God's book, Abraham never doubted. <laughs> Faith 
is simple when you are lying. Are you getting what I'm saying? So this idea of, uh, I'm doubting, I'm doubting, I'm doubting, I'm doubting, what do I do, what do I do? Uh, <laughs> are you getting this? I said open Hebrews 6, right? Let's look at verse 13. It says, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Saying, surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. Ah Verse 18 says, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. This is, this, this, this. <laughs> so someone else is like, God bless me, God bless me. And to someone else, God swore, I will bless you. These are the two lanes of faith. Father, bless me. I'm trusting. I'm trusting for a job, a better car. I'm trusting you. Bless me. Bless me. And to someone else, God swore. And because he can't swear, but you know, people usually swear by something greater. And he's God. Above him is nothing. So he swore by himself, by the integrity in his name. In blessing, I will be. When God says, surely. In blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply. So now the question is, why? Why? Is it fair? Others are struggling. And you, you are swearing, promising someone. So when faith meets you at your door, that is real faith. When you are busy tending the sheep, and a prophet comes with oil to your house to anoint you king. Not because you have an ambition. But because God has his own plan. He's looking for a man after his heart. And he finds your heart ready. This is how to be great in the plan of God. This is how to really move mountains. It starts with consecration. Are you getting this? If you get this, it will change your life. Because there are many people who are so selfish. And they use faith as a religious cover-up. And they wonder, like James says, you say you, you desire and you don't have because you ask amiss. This is why your faith isn't working. That when your desires line up with, you know, when you now start answering questions like, like Hannah, you say, if you give me a child, he will save you. You are being smart. Because the real thing is not about you. You're not the first to desire what you desire. What really matters is God's own plan and how you align with it. Are you getting this? Three things to know about prophetic faith. Number one, God initiates it. I've talked about that already. Number two, it is personal. <laughs> Listen, faith is general in its fundamentals, but personal in its application. And I will explain. When it comes to healing, for instance, 
The Bible says you shall lay hands on the sick and what will happen? The sick shall recover. But anyone who knows a thing or two about the healing ministry knows you come to some people and the leading is to blow on them. The leading sometimes, in fact, one instance, Jesus bends down, picked sand, spat on it. You know? Now the question is, why didn't he just speak? Why didn't he just touch his eyes? So in the healing ministry, it, it now looks like you take different approaches. Because whilst the fundamentals are the same, there is the flow of the Spirit at that particular time. So you stand a better chance raising Lazarus up four days after. Are you getting what I'm saying? When they ask Jesus why, you know, he stayed for four days. He says, if you walk in the light, you will not stop. That was his response. I don't know if you're getting this. It's personal. It's personal. So beyond the fundament, the principles of faith, there are the miracles of faith. And this, this is what I mean. Like, of course, the miracles of faith never contradict the principles of faith. But there is just a specific leading. Let me, let me give you a, a, I mean, a controversial example. In the body of Christ, many people have varying opinions on sowing and reaping. And if you follow this ministry well enough, you understand what I believe fundamentally. Every giving in the New Testament follows this principle. Paul said, every man as he proposes in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or out of necessity. He says, because God loves a cheerful giver. So that's my opinion on all the debates people have on false fruits, on tithe, on every man as he proposes in his heart. If you decide to give your first fruit, great. If you decide to, you decide not to, every man as he proposes in his heart. So let him, what? But some other people will tell you, no matter what, they will say sowing and reaping has worked for me. And they will say that no, none of your biblical exegesis can invalidate their experience. And they will say things that will annoy you like, eh, I, I sow and I reap, come and beat me. You know, <laughs> there were statements like that. <laughs> and so some people wonder why. And when they hear people talk like that, it's now as if they now try it. Especially to see if it works. And then it doesn't work. It's calm, Joe. And people are so divided. So why is it that it's working for some and it's not working for others? You know what Jesus said? He said there were many widows in Zarephath. That read a book on sowing and reaping and gave her last meal. She would have died. Do you understand what I'm saying? So... <laughs> sowing and reaping is not a principle it follows the law of miraculous so, some of you you know what I'm saying as, as a personal consecration to the Lord when God comes to you and says give me this one you, some of you do you know what I'm saying give me give me when God told Isaac 
when God told Abraham to give Isaac, even though he didn't sacrifice him, listen, the obedience brought a blessing. Don't miss moments of consecration like that. Are you getting what I'm saying? And so, when it comes to prophetic faith, there is a personal angle to it. Such that even though um, there are general principles of faith, do this, do this, do this, do this, and do that. You see, faith is, many times faith, the school of faith is like chemistry. Like you know it theoretically, but you never use it in real life. Because like you know it, you've read it in the book, but how do I now apply it? How do I now apply it? How can I make it relevant to me? The truth is, it's really going to be personal. When God was telling um, Peter, the great things he will suffer for him. He said, what about John? <laughs> and Jesus said, it's none of your business. Even though all Christians must suffer persecution. Do you understand that? So in the scope of faith, there's something personal. So you must be open. Open your heart and ask, what is God really leading me to do? Number one, I said, God initiates it, right? Number two, I said what? And number three, I've not given you that. It is effortless. If you learn this, it will change your life. I gave you the example of Abraham, right? God said he staggered not. Let God be true and all men liars. For many people, faith is so delicate. How, Lord, how do, I, how do I get this thing that I'm trusting for? Okay, okay. I will fast 14 days and you should fast. I will pray like this. You know, I would, you know, and they are thinking about what to do. And some other people, the major thing they are doing is, be it unto me according to your word. Aligning with the zeal of God for their lives. And when you do that, you will discover this, <laughs> that faith is not really difficult. If you are struggling too much with doubt, there is something you don't understand. I'm telling you, faith Praise the Lord. Let me give you an example. Faith 101, the fundamentals of faith you are aware of, abominates doubt and suggests to you that once you doubt, you can jettison all that you have been building with your faith. Isn't that true? But then God comes to Abraham's house. And as they are dining, he says to Abraham, don't forget this. This will change your life. Are you ready for this? Yes, I asked the question. I said, are you ready for this? Yes, God says to Abraham, he said, according to the time of life, your wife will have a child. Mary heard it inside, and what did she do? Yes, I said Mary. Sarah heard it inside, and what did she do? Yes. She laughed. According to the fundamentals of faith, what should, what should have happened? No more child. You have spoiled it. Why did you doubt? Why did you laugh? 
Abi. And when they summoned Sarah and said, you laughed, she even lied. She said, I did not laugh. He said, no, you laughed. <laughs> what did God say? Did he say, oh, now you have to wait five more years? Is that what he said? Instead, he said, the child will be called laughter. What was meant to disqualify her? The doubt became part of the testimony. It's called the zeal of the Lord. Did you, did you hear what I just said? Someone doubted, laughed. And instead of saying, oh, you're not going to have the child anymore. He said, because you laughed, the child will be called laughter. <laughs> Please, are you learning anything? If you learn this, it will change your life. So why is it that some people like Sarah just have it, you know, he didn't even say, okay, get serious now, or you stop laughing. Do you be, no. So why? Because of the passionate desire and passion of God for his own plan. He's just looking for who to work with. And when he finds you, whether your faith is imperfect or not, he will work with you. And his counsel will still be fulfilled in your life. The reason you are struggling so much is because it's your own plan. The proof that it is God's plan, and I'm going to teach on this next week, all right? Hi, don't miss next week's teaching. One of the proofs of faith is this. What you got by faith, if you lose it, you don't die. If you are so careful not to lose it, it was your desire. It wasn't God's desire. There should be a selflessness to it. Hallelujah. I don't want to enter my teaching for next week. Such that, I mean, if you're Isaac, you dig a well, they seize it, you dig another one. They seize it, you dig another one. They seize it, you dig another one. Because if it is faith, number one, <laughs> I mean, it's for God's glory. So you don't kill yourself about it, and then it is replicable. I mean, if God gave me, he can give me another one. This is why a man who was about 100 years old and eventually had one child. Have you seen how people who have only one child behave? They don't allow the child to go anywhere. But in your old age, you have one child. And then you wake up one morning and God says, take him and go and give him to me. And, and you just bind him like this. <laughs> See, faith, true faith makes you live light. It makes you live light. I'm like, ah, okay, and I have the child. Okay, I'm going to keep the child. Okay. And then you'll be stalking the child. You put CCTV. <laughs> or you tap into satellites. Be monitoring the child. <laughs> That's not faith. Faith is free. Lot is disputing with your servants. You just say, you know what? Pick your land, go. <laughs> And Lot looked, 
Mm, I pick, I pick. He picked the best land. As Lot was going, God told Abraham, stand up. Look, north, south, east, west. As far as your eyes can see, I will give you. That's how, that's how faith works. It is the zeal of the Lord. The zeal of the Lord. So you, you empty yourself. You take on the agenda of God. You become God's integrity to protect. So the picture of faith is the picture of the waves of the sea. You don't engineer it. You don't build it. You observe it. You get your surfboard and you flow with it. That's how faith is. That's how I live. I don't have a five-year plan. <laughs> I don't have a 10-year plan. I save, I do, I, you know, I try to invest and all of that, but I don't have a five-year plan. I, I just want to do what God will have me do. So if I wake up one morning and God says, UK, that's it. That's how to live. The power of God is in the leading of God. Not with your own desires, but in his leading. If your faith becomes prophetic, <laughs> please, are you learning anything today? Because I'm rounding off. I've said all, all I've said is what I know. This is, this is the secret, this is the number one secret of our ministry. I'm not really trying. I'm being very honest with you. I'm not really trying. And some people, they desire with greed what you have with consecration. That's why they are obeying the principles, but it does not work. Abraham had options. He said, God, let Ishmael live before you. He was indifferent. But God said, mm -mm, I will give you a son. So when you are sure that it is God's own plan, he carries you. He carries you. Hallelujah. He carries you. He carries you. I remember years ago, someone told me, he said, mark my words, when your church hits 500, you become proud. That's for people who were pursuing their own agenda. <laughs> Prophetic faith preserves your integrity, preserves your character, preserves your mind. With prophetic faith, you are light. <laughs> Hallelujah. So here is what I want you to do. The Bible says that the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro the earth, looking for those whose hearts are after him. All the things you are looking for, let me tell you categorically, they are cheap. They are cheap. The biggest question is why? Your motives. How relevant are your desires to God's plan? I'm going to run through this as fast as I can because time is fast spent. And follow me so you don't, you don't miss my train of thoughts. When people go to Hebrews chapter 11 for studies, you know, they just lift and pick verses in isolation. 
Sarah received strength to conceive. Oh, you know, for fruitfulness, I, I received that. You know, um, by faith, Enoch, when he, you know, was not found, for God took him. Oh, that's the principle of preservation. I take that. Enoch, uh, or Noah, moved by, the, by God, built an ark. And the world was condemned and he was safe. Oh, especially in a pandemic like that, like this, I received that. And you're receiving all of that in isolation. And you're still missing the point. Because you have to understand the true context of it. You see, in chapter 10, you have to understand the Bible was not originally written in chapters and verses. So the conversation in chapter 10 is not different from the conversation in chapter 11. Chapter 10 ends with, the, with saying, it says, he that is coming will come and will not tarry. It says, now the just shall live by faith. So what is faith? It is actually alignment and expectancy of the coming of he that is coming. <laughs> I hope I didn't confuse you. He that is coming. So faith, the true context and motive of faith is God's redemptive plan. He that is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is the hope? Salvation. Not a better car. Not a pointed nose. Salvation. And so what made what they were doing faith is not that they trusted God per se. It was the context that made it faith. So what made Abel's sacrifice more excellent than King's own was not that what he gave was bigger. When you read the book of Bible stories, you see the picture and you see Cain's sacrifice. His own plants were already spoiled. But God did not say Cain gave bad crops. Read your Bible well. God never told us what Cain gave was bad. What made his own rejected was because the sacrifice was not for the sake of sacrifice. Sacrifice must prefigure the real Lamb of God that is coming to take away the sins of the world. Abel's sacrifice was accepted because of blood. Because it was a picture of he that is coming and will not tarry. The fact that he will die for our sins. What made Noah a man of faith was the real picture of what his ark was going to represent. That when Christ comes, those who believe in him will be safe and this world will be destroyed. So what made what they did faith was how it substantiated the hope of salvation. Are you getting this? That was the real context. And that's why you come to verse 13 of Hebrews 11, and it says, this all died in faith, not having received the promise. What do you mean not having received the promise? Sarah wanted a child and she got a child. Is that not the promise? No! It was a symbol of the promise. A symbol of the real, oh my God, the real seed of God that was to come. The real Israel of God, it was hers, was, she just had the privilege, all right, to show a foretaste of the hope that was to come. So that means the real important thing to know in the subject of faith is the relevance of my desire with God's plan. Stand to your feet.
Hallelujah. So, when you learn what I just taught you, you adopt the wisdom of Hannah. And instead of just crying for a child, you now say, God, if you give me a child, I will give him back to you. Because the most important principle in the school of faith is consecration. It all belongs to you. My life belongs to you. Do it as you please. If you bless me, for your glory. Well, guess what? I can actually do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can abound and I can abase. So I'm not desiring these great things for self-advancement. I'm truly sold out to you. And if you give me this money, I will put my money where my faith is. Sponsor the spread of the gospel. Such that when this rich man had problems, it was the people who went to Jesus on his behalf and said, he built us a synagogue. Please help him. Are you getting this? If you are aligned with purpose, even if you are not born again, the angel will appear to you, Cornelius, and say, send for a man named Peter. He will tell you words by which you'll be saved. You must be born. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want you to talk to God. This is a moment of consecration. I know you have many desires, many plans, many pursuits. But lay them at his feet right now. Let him scrutinize them. Let his own plan replace your own. When you do, you become a force unstoppable. <laughs> God's integrity to protect. Let him make a name for himself with your life. Make this moment count right now. Make this moment count. As you lift your hands right now, let every other desire that is not consistent with his, let it fade away. Let it fade away. Live for his glory. Live for his glory. His plans for you are bigger than your plans for yourself. You think you have big plans? His plans are small. He told Abraham, he said, <laughs> in blessing I will bless you. In multiplying I will multiply you. He promised Abraham a great name. Trust him today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.